Autumn Leaves by Anne Wheels Abbott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chad Horner from Ballyclare in County Antrim, Northern Ireland, situated in the northeast of the island of Ireland. Autumn Leaves by Anne Wheels Abbott. Chapter 16. The Old Sailor. In my school vacations, I used occasionally to visit an old sailor friend a man of uncommon natural gifts and that varied experience of life which does so much to supply the want of other means of education he must have been a handsome man in his youth and though time and hardship had done their utmost to make a ruin of his old features and had made it needful to braid his still jetty black locks together to cover his bald crown he was a fine striking head yet to my boyish fancy i loved to sit at his feet and hear him tell the events of sixty years of toil and danger suffering and well-earned joy as he leaned with both hands upon his stout staff his body swaying with the earnestness of his speech his labours and pearls were now ended and in his age and infirmity he had found a quiet haven he had built a small house by the side of the home of his childhood and his son who followed his father's vocation lived under the same roof this son and two daughters were all that remained to him of a large family an easterly bank and a westerly glim are certain signs of a wet skin said the fisherman pointing to the heavy black masses of cloud that hung over the eastern horizon one morning when i had risen at sunrise for a day's fishing twon't do don't go out to-day there's soon such a breeze off shore as with the heavy chop would make you sick enough besides the old dory won't put up with such a storm as is coming no fishing my boy to-day his old father said stephen is right there is a blow brewing and he came to look leaning on his cane stay in to-day i yielded and the sky during the morning slowly assumed a dull laden hue the storm came on in the afternoon heavily pattering and pouring and blowing against the windows and obscuring the little light of an autumn twilight i wandered through the few small rooms of the cottage endeavouring to amuse myself while the light lasted with two funeral sermons and an old newspaper then i sat down at a window and i well remembered the gloomy landscape seen through the rain in the dusk the marsh with the creek dividing it the bare round eminence between the house and the beach or rather the rocky cliffs and on either side the wide lonely sands with heavy foam-capped breakers rolling in upon the shore with a sound like a solemn dirge at a distance on the left half hidden by the walnut trees lay the ruins of a mill which had always the air of being haunted a high rocky hill very nearly perpendicular on the side next the house was covered on the sides and top with junipers pines and other evergreens as the darkness thickened i left the lonely best room for the seat in the large chimney corner in the kitchen the old wife tottered round making preparations for the evening meal and muttered recollections of shipwrecks which the storm brought to her mind now and then she would go to a window turn back her cap border from her forehead put her face close to the glass shading off the firelight with her hand and gaze out into the darkness asa did not go out either thank the good father she said the dog whined piteously sit sit poor skip here shall have a piece good dog a fearful night indeed it is the two men came in from the barn shook off the wet and drew near the fire just such a night twenty-nine years ago come august we ran a file of hatteras you remember old woman how they frighted ye about me don't ye amidst such reminiscences we were called to supper i remember being solemnly impressed when that old man bent with hardship and the weight of years clasped his hands fervently and in rude terms but full of meaning 
asked a blessing upon their humble board. I remember the flickering light from the logs burning on the hearth, and how it showed upon the faces of those who sat there a strong feeling of the words in which rose an added petition in behalf of those on the mighty deep. Supper being ended, the old man took down the tobacco board, and when he had caught enough to fill his pipe, handed it to his son, who, having done the same, restored it to its nail in the chimney corner. Then they smoked, and talked of dangers braved and overcome, of pirates and shipwrecks and escapes, till I involuntarily drew closer into my corner, and looked over my shoulder. Suddenly the dog under the table gave a whining growl. I never seed the like o' that dog, exclaimed the fisherman, turning to me. I thought he was asleep, but if ever a foot comes nigh the house at night, he gives notice. Depend on it, there's someone coming. The door of the little entry opened. With a rush of the whistling wind, and a man stepped in. The dog half rose, and though he wagged his tail, in token that he knew the step to be that of a friend, he kept up a low whine. A young man, muffled to the eyes, and with the water dripping from his huge pea-jacket, opened the kitchen door. William Crosby, why, what brings you out in such a storm as this? Strip off your coat and draw up to the fire, can't ye? Where are you bound then, and the night as dark as the wolf's throat? The young fisherman made no answer, unless by a motion of his hand, and as he turned back the colour from his face, he saw by the waving light that it was pale as death. The long, wet locks already lay upon his cheeks, making them more ghastly as he struggled to speak. Oh, Stephen Lee, there's no time to be sitting by the fire, when old Asa Osborne is rolling in the waters. A man's drowned, and who's to get the body for the wife and the children? God pity them, afore the ebb carries it out to sea. The old man drew his hand across his forehead and rose. I looked at him as he drew up his tall figure, and looked the young messenger full in the eye. In a low, deep whisper he said, Who, William, did ye say? Ye said a man's drowned, but tell me the name again. Yes, grand sir, I did say it. Old uncle asked Fleming. He and the minister went out a-fishing in the morning. The minister got his boots off in the water, and after a long time he swam ashore. But poor uncle asked, Stephen, come along. His poor wife's gone down to the beach now. They left the house and shut the door after them, and came back softly to the seat by the old man's knee. Once before I had seen him, when a heavy sorrow fell upon him, it was on a beautiful summer's day, and the open window let in the cool breeze from the sea. He was sitting by it in his armchair, looking out upon the calm water, buried in thought. His favourite daughter had long been very low, and might sink away at any moment. The old dog was at his feet asleep. The clock ticked in the corner, and the sun was shining upon the floor. Some friends sat by in silence with sorrowful countenances. His little grandchild came to his side and said, Mother says, tell Grandpa, Aunt Lizzie's gone home. The old man did not alter his position. For some time he sat in deep thought, looking out with unseeing gaze, and winding his thumbs as before. Of five fair daughters, three had before died, by the same disease consumption he had seen them slowly fade away one by one and had followed his children to the grave in the scheduled burying ground where the green sod was now to be broken to receive the fourth rising slowly he walked across the room and taking the well-worn family bible returned with it to his seat and as he turned the leaves he said in a low tone to himself there's only one left now then he sat entirely silent with his eyes fixed upon the sacred page he did not utter one word of lamentation, he did not shed a tear, but as he turned his eye on me in passing, its expression went to my heart. Stealing softly out, I left him to the silent comforter, 
his blessing is on the mourner now the scene was changed one was suddenly taken from his side who had been a companion from boyhood to old age they had played and worked in company together they had embarked on their first voyage and their last and they had settled down in close neighbourhood in the evening of their days each had preserved the other's life in some moment of peril but took small praise to himself for so simple an act of duty few words of fondness had ever passed between them they had gone along the path of life without perhaps being conscious of any peculiarly strong tie of friendship binding them together till they were thus torn asunder the death of a daughter long and slowly wasting away before his eyes could be calmly borne but this blow was wholly unforeseen and his chest heavily rose and fell and by the bright firelight i saw tears rolling over his weather-beaten cheeks a child will weep a bramble smart and made to see her sparrow part a stripling for a woman's heart talk not of grief till thou hast seen the hard-drawn tears of bearded men the fury of the storm being abated i resolved to follow stephen down to the shore he was not in sight and i knew not what direction to take it was a gloomy night the transient glimpses of the moon between driving masses of clouds only making the scene more wild and appalling i could see the tops of the tall trees bending under the fury of the blast ere it came to sweep the beach the heaving billows were covered with foam far as the eye could see and rising and tumbling seemed striving with each other as they rolled on towards the sands i had seen storms upon the ocean before but never had it presented so awful and majestic an appearance as the breakers struck upon the shore and sent a huge mass of water upon the sands their sullen roar mingled with the howling and rushing of the wind and filled me with awe there were torches upon the beach and as i drew near i saw the fishermen run together to one point the body had just been washed ashore and lay stretched upon the sands the head was bare and long locks of white hair streamed down upon the shoulders the heavy pea-jacket was off from one arm as if he had endeavoured to extricate himself from it in the water the sinewy arms lay powerless and free from tension then but they told me that when they first drew him from the surf both hands were grasping a broken oar with such strength that they were unable to lose his hold till suddenly the muscles relaxed and the arms fell upon the ground they turned the body and a little water ran from the mouth then gently raising it upon their shoulders they bore it home End of chapter 16 The Old Sailor by Anne Wales Abbott